0: our corporate prayer together this morning. O Lord, our God, you have chosen to make yourself known through your creation, your word, your son, and your spirit. Now reveal your glory to us and through us, the church. Speak to us, form us, lead us, dwell in us. Teach us today how to love as Jesus loves To welcome the stranger, heal the sick, and care for the poor. To bear good news, build bridges, and bring your people home. For Christ in us is the hope of glory. May your perfect will prevail in us this day. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you be with us today. Lord, may you speak through me that I may just disappear, Lord, and people's eyes will be on you. Father God, give us ears to hear, a heart that is open for your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is our concluding sermon for the series we've been on for over a month now. It's called With, and it's a seri- series based on a book written by Sky Jathani, also called With, where we got our title. And some of you have told me that you actually went out and bought the book, that you bought the book and you're reading it. And I think Mr. Jathani, that he owes us uh, some commission for his sales, don't you think? So a quick summary for our series, in case that you haven't been here or if you're joining us uh, just now online, um, we've been demonstrating how a life with God is truly the only way we can experience a deep and thriving relationship with our heavenly Father. So, as described in the book, some of us default to living under God, uh, meaning that we see God as an oppressive and punitive God who seeks to punish those that are not obedient and to reward those that do good. Living over God is to see God as some sort of life coach or an advisor, but ultimately you are still in the driver's seat. And if you're living from God, you see him as a sort of vending machine or some sort of genie in a bottle. And the purpose of his existence is to bless me, make my job, my marriage, my health, you know, my whole life better. That's living from God. And if you are living for God, you are living for a mission, you want to do great things, you know, accomplish dreams and be significant. And a relationship for God, uh, for God to you, means opportunity to be empowered and change the world. So these four postures are not God's design for us. I mean, sure, he wants to bless us, our marriage, our careers. Or sure, he wants to empower us to do great things for his kingdom. But if we are living under, over, from, or for God, we attempt to use him for our own ends, rather than seeing A relationship with God as an end to itself. So then what are we to do? In our series we have come to the conclusion that we are to live with God, where we fellowship with him throughout the day, where we endure hardships because he is there with us, where we grieve our sinfulness and our brokenness with him, We allow God to even be in those places where we are on mission, but it's not uh, to do great things and and to lift ourselves up. It's because it gives us joy to partner with him in these things. Where we love in our relationships with God. We raise our children up with God. Where we work at our jobs with God. But what does this even look like, and how is it even possible that God, the Almighty One, that He would desire His presence to manifest in our midst, that He desires to be with us? Let's put that into perspective a little, shall we? So in the Old Testament, in Exodus 20, Moses, he goes up and down. Mount Sinai, he speaks with the Lord a number of times, might I add, and when he comes down to the the people, the Israelites overhear God telling Moses the Ten Commandments. And in fear, they are trembling and they say to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. They couldn't handle hearing from the Lord directly it was too great, too awesome, too overwhelming for the people to hear his voice. They trembled in fear. You know, the Bible uses a fear at the word fear at least 300 times in reference to God. So let's not downplay this. The fear of the almighty, all-powerful, and all-knowing. Lord. How can we put this God in a box or worse yet a vending machine? It's laughable isn't it? That God who can span the universe with his hand and we have the audacity of making him into our own personal genie or a life coach or a fortune teller and we tell him to get in the backseat. The fear of the Lord. It all seems a little confusing. We are to live with God. But yet when we talk of, of fear. Doesn't that create some dis, distance. And distrust. You know, we read in the Old Testament. That God tells Moses to build a sanctuary. A, a, a tabernacle. And he lives among them. And its presence would be manifested. In part of the tabernacle. Called the Holy of Holies that was curtained off. And where the holy priest could only enter, the high priest, and that's only once a year. Anyone else who dares enter struck dead instantly. In the Old Testament, there is a real sense of divide between God and his people. So where does this divide start? It starts in the Garden of Eden. We we know the story. In the beginning, Adam and Eve, they enjoyed God's presence in a way that we can't even imagine. In Genesis 3.8, it says that they could hear the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What does that even look like? You know, the intimacy, the fellowship, the closeness. But then what happens they eat the forbidden fruit. And when they hear the Lord in the garden, they hide themselves from the presence of the Lord. It creates a great divide between God and his people. Why, just for eating fruit? Like simply for eating something they were not told to? In in our family, we try not to eat junk food. You know, when the kids were especially younger, Right, and they were at church, and somebody would sneak in a donut for them or a piece of candy. They'd be like, "Ooh, watch out!" If Christine knows. But it kind of seemed that we were stockpiling the junk food in our house because after uh, fellowships at our house, or meetings, or potlucks. It would accumulate in buckets and buckets right and after Easter or harvest festival birthday favors We have so much junk food in our house We dole it out little by little as a reward to the kids and we make sure to tell them that's gonna rot your teeth It's gonna make you unhealthy and if you eat too much your stomach is gonna hurt. I Don't know why we just didn't throw it all away. You know, I don't know Every so often, especially Nate, he'll disappear and we won't see him for a while and he's just all too quiet and we say, where is that little boy? And sure enough, we see him hiding under the dining table. I mean, we could see him, right? It's not as if it's covered, but he's hiding with it, with chocolate all over his face and wrappers all around him. So what do we say to him, our three-year-old? Do we say, Nathaniel, I will greatly increase your pain in childbirth. I will curse the ground so that you will struggle to bring forth food from the soil and you will be banished from the hung household. <laughs> of course not. So why? So why would the Lord do this? Why lay such thick consequences for eating the forbidden fruits? It says in Genesis that Eve saw the fruit, and she said, this fruit looks good to eat. But she didn't eat it because she was craving uh, the taste or, or because she was hungry. The, the Adam and Eve had, was given access to every other fruit tree in the garden. She ate because of what she thought it would give her. Because you see, the deceitful serpent in the garden told her it would give her wisdom and knowledge that only God knew. It would make her equal with God. She wouldn't have to obey him or serve him. She would be like God and be able to take control of her own life. And then she gives the fruit to Adam, who so easily agrees to partake as well. It is an act of outright rebellion and sin enters the world severing the relationship between God and humanity leading us to death and destruction. And we are to live with God? How is this even possible? Are we to step behind the curtains into the Holy of Holies? Are we to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day? How is this intimacy possible? So throughout ancient history, we can read in our books the effort and striving of people to bridge that divide between humans and God, right? They attempted to build a tower, the Tower of Babel, right? And to reach, high enough to reach the heavens. And in around 20 to 40 BC, there was this Jewish philosopher named Philo of Alexandria, and he believed that our goal was to journey in a spiritual quest to truly know God and be in perfect communion with him. And he believed that if our minds could just kind of let go of the bonds to our body and our soul, and if we could just purify ourselves, we could attain the divine knowledge of God through these mystical experiences. In Merkaba mysticism, it's a school of ancient Jewish mysticism, they believed in a spiritual chariot that could carry us up to the throne of God through <coughs> meditation. And contemplation. Right? It's religion after religion. humanity's attempt to reach God and trans- transcend to his lofty position. But on the other hand, you know, through Jesus Christ, this is God's plan to reach out to humanity. You know, Paul the Apostle, he calls it a great mystery. this divine plan, the profound way that God chooses to reach out across this great divide and restore that broken relationship between him and his people. It is in Christ, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who died on the cross and rose again in victory over sin and death. He broke the curse of sin in our lives, and he makes a way for humanity to be in fellowship with the holy God. You know, it is not our reaching and striving to try to get close to God, it is not that at all. This relationship that we have with Jesus is that God reached out to us. He reaches out, he rescues us with the blood of his son and then he sends his spirit to live in us and calls us the body of Christ. Let's read from 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 19. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So in verse 16, Paul says, so from now on. What is he alluding to? He's alluding to the previous verse when he proclaims that Jesus died and rose again on our behalf. So because of this, we should be looking at things differently. I should be looking at you, my brothers and sisters, differently. Why? Because you are a new creation. You should be looking at yourself differently because the old is gone and the new has come to the cross God he he offers forgiveness and he makes peace between himself and us those sins of yesterday today tomorrow he no longer counts against us as followers of Jesus Christ And we are invited back into his holy presence. It's profound, like such profound significance that as his children, we're allowed in the Holy of Holies. I wish we could talk a little bit more about the tabernacle and what that really entails, but we're allowed in that sacred place in the heart of the tabernacle where his presence resides that we are allowed to go in there, the presence of God. Now my question is, does your life look like you have access to this almighty God? Does your life reflect the fact that you are invited into that holy of holies, of that place in the presence of the Lord? Does your life reflect that? So Albert and I, we, we used to live in Taiwan. He, he was there for about seven years. I was there about for three And we love Taiwan, we love the people there, we love the culture there, we love the food there. But you know, every so often, we would really miss the comforts of home. You know, a good burger, you know, being able to speak English and be understood, you know, big, large, open spaces, no humidity, less traffic. And so in Taipei, there's this American club, right? And it it caters to American expats, You know, especially very wealthy American expats. Uh, Monthly fees are are about $500 a month, way more than Albert and I could afford. Uh, But we had some great friends, Laura and William, who had membership there, and they were allowed to bring their friends every so often. And so Albert and I, we would go into the American Club, you know, and we felt rich beyond measure. You know, there was AC. And, and, and restaurants and, and spas and tennis courts, swimming pools, you know they had pizza, nachos, burgers, smoked salmon and chocolate lava cake. We had access to this posh club because of our friends Laura and William and the benefits were incredible. And I remember how giddy Albert and I would be. We'd go in there, we'd kind of dance around like children and be like, ah, you know, the comforts of home. How much more, and it's even insulting to compare it, but how much more should we be celebrating access to God and the blessings that come with that? Through Jesus Christ so are we living with God in Christ through the Spirit or are we living under or from or for or without God drowning in the temptations and the suffering and the hopelessness of this world So the Kingdom of God, is it a future reality to hope for? Or is it a present reality that we can experience right now? Has the Kingdom of God come, what do you think? The answer is yes, already, but not yet. It's a theological concept that describes that tension of having the benefits of being a redeemed people and the benefits that we have to wait for when we're in the full glory of the second coming of Christ. So we have one foot in the kingdom of God, one foot in the world where sin appears to be the dominant force. So how we live in this tension as the people of God says a lot about our own personal relationship with the Lord. And as we close out our series, uh, I want to conclude by sharing just some practical tips on what it looks like to live with God. Okay, so first of all, commit to knowing God. I mean, really knowing God. In Matthew 15, 8 to 9, it says this. It says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. I find this verse very, very sobering, that we may honor him with our lips, that we may come on a Sunday morning and worship him, but that it could be all in vain if it's not with our hearts. And I believe we can't sincerely love the Lord without knowing him first. In John 10:14 it says that I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. I mean, do we know the Lord? Obviously, we will never have the full revelation of who he is until we are with him in heaven. But do we take advantage of what we can know right now? There are many ways that God reveals himself to us, right? Through through creation, through history, through personal experiences with him, through scripture? Are we hungry to discover him through scripture? You know, do we look at our life events and ask, is God in this right now? What is he teaching us? You know, There are times that Albert and I go through really tough times. You know, and instead of grumbling, no, that's not true, I do grumble. But after a little bit of grumbling, I say, okay, God, where are you in this? And what is the lesson that you are teaching me? Friends, know God's word. Please have a hunger for his word. Join a Bible study or a Sunday school class or, or, or something that will get you into God's word and not because you feel obligated to or because your pastors are telling you to, but it's because it is so possible to fall madly in love with him just through his word alone. It says that God's word is living and active, and the message of love and devotion are profound enough to cut to the heart. And if you find reading the Bible tedious and boring, come see me. And I will try to show you a way that makes the scripture come alive to you. you know, just last week, a church member, uh, she made an appointment and she came to come see me because she wanted to learn this, uh, this Bible study method. And, and so I'm teaching it to her. And we were both, like our eyes were all watering because the spirit was speaking to us through scripture. It is such a privilege to minister to people through God's word. Commit to knowing him. Commit to knowing who God is. Okay, point two. Commit to believing the whole gospel. Right? The whole gospel. In Matthew 13, it, it's, there's a parable that tells about a sower and he's scattering seeds. Right? And some of these seeds, it, 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 uh, it produces a crop that yields like a hundred times fold but other seeds, they're, they're scorched or they're choked out or, or they're plucked away, they're snatched away. And Jesus says that this is like hearing the message of the kingdom, that that truth, that it could be snatched away from our hearts, that it could be choked out from the worries and anxieties of life. So do we believe the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Right? Do, we, do we believe that we are a new creation? Do we believe that we are more than conquerors when we walk with the Lord, that we can overcome all sin in our lives? Do we believe that with all our hearts? Or have we settled for a weak version of the gospel, that we're not strong enough, that we're not good enough? So let me use an object lesson to illustrate this, um, this point. This is Tupperware from home. And when I opened it, I smelled kimchi. Just <laughs> so if you can smell the kimchi. This is where it's coming from. This is a picture of what people think of the Christian life. And I, when I mean by people, I mean Christians. You know, a lot of Christians who have proclaimed Jesus as their personal Savior, that they believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again and that they are freed from the consequence of sin, this is what they feel their lives to be. And this is you. Right? And when we sin, we make an excuse, or at the very least we're resigned to the fact that we were born with sin in us. Some of you might have seen this already. It's from YouTube. Look it up. We also believe that we were born in the world of sin. So, yes, Jesus died for us and he has conquered sin and death. But in this world, we live in a world of sin and we live with sin in us. How many of you believe that? I am a sinner saved by grace, which is true. But that is only half the gospel that is only half the gospel because it says in galatians 2 20 says i have been crucified with christ and i no longer live but christ lives in me it's in galatians therefore if anyone is in christ the new creation has come The old has gone, the new is here. We just read that this morning. And then in Colossians it says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is not the Christian life. Yes, we live in a world of sin. But here it says, if we make Christ our, our, our personal Savior, we are now in Christ. This is you in Christ. And not only that, it says that Jesus, his death on the cross, and he is risen from the dead, he conquers that for us now in this world. Christ is in you. you understand understand the significance of that sin does not rule in your heart any longer if you are a follower of Jesus Christ Christ is in you you are in Christ and even more profound as it says in, Col- uh, in Colossians for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God brothers and sisters this is your reality If you call Jesus your personal Savior, this is your reality. No matter what you are going through, no matter if you have fallen off the bandwagon, uh, you know, or, or, or sinned and slipped up, even then, Christ is in you. You are in Christ. You are with Christ in God. So think about what you are going through in life right now. If you our follower of Jesus, this is your reality. Let's finish up this point, this point number two with Colossians 2.6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue. And that key word is continue to live your life in him, in Christ. Walk with God in truth, the whole truth, the whole gospel, and you will see sin loosen its grip on you. Until you finally look like Jesus. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until Jesus Christ returns. You find that in Philippians. Okay, third point commit to living out his mission. So we read earlier from 2 Corinthians 5 16 to 19, in verse 18, it says that God reconciled the world to himself in Christ. And then it says that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It says that God trusted us with the message of reconciliation that that people may be brought back to him. He entrusted us with that, you and me. So are we in partnership with the Lord in this? Are we making this a reality to the people that God brings into our lives? Let's pause and just take a moment to reflect on that question. This is especially for those that have warmed the pews in our church for many years. When you come, do you come just to hear a sermon and then you sneak uh, through the back door before you have to actually talk to someone? or do you come and just hang out with your friends and neglect the fact that there might be somebody right beside you that needs to hear this message of peace and reconciliation or perhaps you serve you know perhaps you serve a lot and this this is for me too My question is, if Jesus Christ came into these doors right now, would he say, this is it, this is exactly what I wanted. This is exactly what I imagined when I said, I am giving you, I am entrusting you with the message of reconciliation. Take it to my people, let them know. Look around. You know, the people that are sitting beside you, in front of you, behind you, we are the body of Christ. Do we look like him? Do we act like him? Do we love like him? Are we truly the body of Christ? Pastor Albert and I, we announced last week that we've accepted a call to minister up in NorCal you know, where Albert will be district superintendent. And if you weren't here last week, and this is news to you, I ask you to uh, listen online, because we kind of describe, uh, or sorry, we um, explain the details in in that sermon. Because of this impending uh, sending out, you know, which won't be for another couple of years officially, uh, everything that we decide in ministry will be in light of our departure, You know, the NorCal district has graciously agreed to give us some time to finish our work here at Trinity and to prepare our church family for a smooth transition um, in pastoral leadership. But saying that, I wanted to stress one last point to conclude this series on with. You know, we've been challenged to kind of reimagine Our relationship with the Lord and and if you are listening to these sermons you know and you're listening to yes I want to live my life with God and you're picturing you know this one-on-one relationship with the Lord that is separate from the corporate body of Christ that is separate from spiritual community, this is not God's vision for you. You know, I know Pastor Albert, he mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in in his sermon, but it needs to be repeated again and, and often. You know, our relationship with God, it is a communal relationship where we are the church. You know, we are the body of Christ. You know, and I, and I think some of you may have misunderstood and thought that we are saying that our personal relationship with God is not important. Of course. Of course not. It is very important. But our personal relationship with God, where God is growing you and you're being spiritually formed and you're growing in faith, it is not meant to stop there. Honestly, it is not for you, it is for the body of Christ, it's for us. It's for us to come together and grow in unity, grow in faith together. In Colossians, it says, Christ in us is the hope of glory. This is in our corporate prayer. Christ in us, plural, is the hope of glory. And I think in our individualistic culture, we tend to see our relationship with God as something that is very private. You know, we say it's none, of any, it's none of anybody else's business but mine. But it is. It is our business. You know, because we are all members of one body. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, before his death, before the crucifixion, Jesus prayed that we would be made into one, that all the believers would be made as one. And every time our Bible, all these verses that we've been sharing that Christ is in me, you are in Christ, Christ is in you, you are with Christ, hidden in God, it is not a singular you, if you look at the original Greek, it is a plural you, Christ is in you, as in y'all, right, Christ is in us, together, we are in Christ, we are with Christ, hidden in God, it is a corporate we, the body of Christ. And some of you might be thinking, well, I'm not that important. You know, I'm not as spiritually strong or I'm weak in my faith. But it says in 1 Corinthians 12, that in fact, some parts of the body that seem to be weaker is indispensable. We need you. We need every single one of you. And when you don't show up to church, it affects us. It affects the body of Christ. God manifests his presence in the New Testament when his people were gathered, when the body of Christ came together. This is when his his presence was most powerfully manifested. And this is why the early church would come together so often. This is where they would experience God the most powerfully. Church, we cannot expect to meet on a Sunday morning once a week and expect to thrive as the body of Christ. So my appeal to you is this. Meet together often. Jesus says when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. You know, Pastor Johnny, even going to George Elder Park on a Friday night to watch A silly kid show. You know, we could make that very earthly, worldly event into something that manifests as presence because we are gathering together as the body of Christ. Men and women ministries, we are going to be giving opportunities for us to gather together for a Bible study or 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 uh you know, for, for breakfast or, or other events, for retreats. You know, there's, there's adult Sunday school classes, right? There's, there's a couple's life group that meets twice a month. You know, or, or we can come together and serve your youth, your children. You can minister to them together. Partake in the body of Christ. Don't miss out on any of these opportunities. And Pastor Albert and I and the staff and the board, we are asking this. Take initiative to create these opportunities. Don't wait for us. You know, at the risk of being insulting, don't wait for us to spoon feed you. There's not enough of us to go around. And I've been praising the Lord. I was just worshiping this morning and praising God, you know, for the leaders that the Lord has brought in our midst. People that are taking initiative to grow the body of Christ here at Trinity Church. I am so thankful and grateful. So if right now the Lord is stirring in your life, in your heart right now, you know, he's saying, take part. Go to somewhere uncomfortable. I have to tell you the truth. Every morning that I preach, my stomach is in knots. I have digestion problems. I feel like if I don't have a big swig of like orange juice, I'm gonna faint up at the podium because it is not a comfortable place do I love preaching yes with all my heart I am so thankful the Lord uses me this way but it is not comfortable allow the Lord to take you somewhere uncomfortable for the body of Christ Make room. If you're saying, I'm too busy, and that's the only reason why you're not, that is not an excuse. We're talking about the kingdom of God here. Make room. We are better together. So I know I threw a lot at you today. Just If you forget everything else, I just want you to remember this. right? Life with God can only be fully experienced and enjoyed. In life with God's people. With God has to be lived out with his people. Love God, love people, that goes hand in hand. You cannot do one without the other. So commit to knowing God together. Commit to believe in the whole gospel together. And commit to living out his mission together. Together. Let's pray. Father God, there is a reason why you designed us this way. There is a reason why you bring us together and call us the body of Christ. Help us to explore that reason together, Lord. God, there is not a single person in this sanctuary that is indispensable. Lord, we need each other. And together we are in you. Lord, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much that we are no longer in bondage to sin. That this is our truth, our reality, that Christ is in us. That we are in Christ. And with Christ, we are hidden in you, God. God Almighty. Lord, help this to be more and more of a reality for each of us in this room. God, for those of us that are shy and timid and saying it's as hard, it's hard to make relationships. Lord, give them the boldness to know that we are for them. God, our family, we just we want to love on them. God, I pray that you give us the wisdom and the perspective to see you in every aspect of our lives, Lord, that we are not living under oppression under your name, Lord. No, we are living, God, with you. God, that you choose to live in our midst, that our reality is the holy of holies, where you manifest your presence among us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise your name in Jesus' name.